From the beginning, Trump and the other representatives of the ruling class, they've made it clear that the dilemma before them was really save lives or save the economy. For most of them, there is no real moral dilemma here. The loss of human life is always an externality. It's just collateral damage under capitalism. That America will never be a socialist country. country. Attitudes are changing towards socialism. We believe the only solution is the establishment of a workers' government on a socialist program. My name is John Peterson. I'm the editor of Socialist Revolution, and I'd like to welcome you to the first episode of the Socialist Revolution podcast, brought to you live from New York, the new worldwide epicenter of the COVID-19 epidemic. Needless to say, the last couple of weeks have been a real whirlwind here in the belly of the belly of the beast. And I think we can safely say that this is the big one. In a Marxist dialectical sense, quantity has passed into quality and vice versa. And we're no longer living in the world we were living in just a few weeks ago. I think there's going to be a very clear before and after this event, which I think will be even more pronounced than events like 9-11 or the 2008 crisis. World War II is probably the closest parallel, though there are big differences in how that whole period unfolded and ended. Now, Marxists may not have expected this particular crisis, but we definitely understood that all the elements were in place, kind of sharp and sudden transformation in the situation. Uh, we wrote just a few weeks ago, outlining our perspectives for the coming period, the following, quote, Many disparate phenomena are converging, and it is impossible to predict the precise timing or combination of events. In a nonlinear system balanced on the brink of chaos, any accident can reveal the underlying need for revolutionary change. An economic or political shock, a labor or youth struggle, a border or international incident, an outbreak of disease or illness, a hurricane or earthquake, etc. And uh, now we see that all of the above is basically happening at the same time. We see a total meltdown of the capitalist system on a world uh, scale. And uh, we really have entered a new world. Uh, but we have to remember this did not emerge from nothing. This didn't come out of nowhere. The economy was full of fault lines. All the institutions of capitalist rule were deeply discredited. The way we produce for the society set us up for, for something like this, for a pandemic like this. And scientists knew something that, like this was coming, uh, that it was just a matter of time. Uh, there's a crisis of regime of capitalist rule at all levels of society, especially of government. And we've seen clear evidence of this in the 2016 and the 2020 elections. And although things are changing from day to day and even hour to hour, my aim is to give a brief overview unfolding situation and above all to explain how this is impacting the class struggle here in the United States. Uh, first of all, of course, we should never forget that as revolutionary internationalists, we always start with a world perspective. We have to analyze the U.S. situation in the context of the overall world situation, starting with the global crisis of capitalism. So we have to look at the crisis that's unfolding in China, in the rest of East Asia, the devastation of Northern Italy and the effects that this crisis is having throughout the rest of Europe, Britain, and beyond. Uh, we have to look at the situation in the Indian subcontinent, in the Middle East, in Africa, in Latin America, and so on. World relations and world trade have already been seriously affected. It's every country out for itself. So you see a rise in isolationism and protectionism, trade wars, and of course, the idea of America first coming from Donald Trump. 
Everyone wants to export the blame, the economic crisis, and unemployment, but not medical supplies and equipment, other than Cuba, which has sent doctors and supplies to Italy. Uh, this shows the potential of a worldwide planned economy when even a small, relatively impoverished island can contribute to the world fight back against the coronavirus. So I think this is an important opportunity to present a Marxist vision for how a worldwide socialist planned economy would have dealt with this. We often say that wildfires don't respect borders, and we're seeing now that viral pandemics respect them even less. And this crisis just sharply illustrates how connected everything and everyone is. And it also shows that there's no limits within the context of any particular country or within the limits of capitalism itself, as, as I'll go on to explain. Um, so what we have to recognize then is that the process of history has accelerated dramatically. The curve of development towards the socialist revolution, even in the United States, has sharpened dramatically. And this warlike situation that we're in has to be understood from a class struggle and a class war perspective. We've got to put the emphasis on the role of the working class and ultimately on the need for a workers' government to deal with this crisis. It's clear now that the current government, the capitalist government of Donald Trump, was warned as early as January that a pandemic was possible and posed a serious threat. Unsurprisingly, Trump decided to bluster and bluff his way through this crisis, and this wasted precious weeks that could have been used for containment and for preparation. Eventually, some cities and states did take aggressive action, and they you know, encouraged social distancing and so on, but it was far too little, far too late, as exemplified by the really disastrous case right here in New York City. From the beginning, Trump and the other representatives of the ruling class, they've made it clear that the dilemma before them was really save lives or save the economy. And it's very clear that for most of them, there is no real moral dilemma here. The loss of human life is always an externality. It's just collateral damage under capitalism. Maximizing profits is what matters to the system and everything else is secondary and flows from that. But the scale, the sheer scale of this crisis and its potential impact throughout the economy and throughout society really has shocked all but the, the most hardened capitalist ideologues. Um, so from denial that there was anything wrong, Trump even called it a hoax, you go, you go you, from denial to this very aggressive posturing, and now again Trump seems to be in denial mode, and he says that the cure can't be worse than the disease, and yet he has no real understanding of what this disease is going to mean for humanity and for the United States. The virus is gonna set the curve, not the US government, uh, no matter what Donald Trump says. So it's a real, a big gamble by Trump to sound the all clear just as things are actually starting to get a lot, lot worse. And uh, if he does make moves towards reopening the economy as quickly as he hopes to, there's the risk of an even worse public health crisis and even worse damage to the capitalist economy, and of course this is going to lead to even greater instability for the system down the line. Um, so this all of this exposes the limitations of what this kind of government and this kind of economy mean for the working class. But of course for Trump, the economy and, and specifically the stock market, they're the ultimate indicators for his success and of course for his re-electability, and at all costs he wants to find a way to get things back on track. Um, we've seen wild swings on the market in the last few weeks, falls of thousands of points, including a nearly 10% point in a single day, followed by you know, a record rise of 20% in just a few days, uh, and we've had the end. 
the shortest bear market in history. Those three days, that rapid rise was the best days on the Dow Jones Industrial since 1933, since the depths of the Great Depression. The reason is clear. The investors were licking their chops at the prospect of free money from the government. But I think we can pretty confidently predict that this is going to be the shortest bull market in history and that the bears are going to be back with a vengeance. And obviously, I think they already are, as they see that this bailout package simply isn't going to be enough. Millions of ordinary workers are seeing how their pensions, their 401ks, and other investments and, and savings for retirement, for their kids' education, it's all vanishing in thin air. And of course, they're wondering, why did we bother saving this money in the first place? And that's the people that had any savings. A huge percentage of Americans don't even have $500 in the bank for an emergency, let alone to go hoard food supplies and medical supplies or to pay for health care if you don't have health coverage in this country, which is a real major crisis that's being exposed by the coronavirus infection. Some people, of course, are getting very rich as a result of this. A lot of uh, investors on Wall Street were just waiting for the next crisis in order to cash in. You're going to have large companies gobbling up smaller companies. Thousands of companies, large and small, are just going to go bankrupt. They're going to disappear altogether. Millions of individuals are going to go bankrupt. We may see a repeat of the, the mortgage crisis, the housing crisis, the eviction crisis that we saw in 2008 and 2009. And of course, in the midst of all this, we have people like those four infamous senators who sold off millions of dollars in stock before the crash because they had advanced intelligence briefings about the potential for a pandemic. Now, amidst shortages for hospitals, you see the profiteering, you see the price gouging, and you see mass hoarding by different companies. Uh, and you see, you know, completely incredible moves like Target, uh, the Target company in Seattle, selling N95 uh, medical masks in Target stores just blocks away from hospitals that were either out or about to run out. Trump, of course, has been at pains to tell the nation, to tell the world that this is not a financial crisis, it's a medical crisis. But this is a lie. We can't fall into this, this uh, business of calling it a coronavirus recession or a public health recession. COVID-19 was ultimately just the accident that triggered all of this, not the cause itself. Like I said, the fault lines in the economy were already there. We were already in the longest boom in U.S. history. And statistically, there was going to be a fall of this house of cards sooner or later. And coronavirus just gave it a push over the edge. A healthy economy and society, a socialist economy and society, which has deep reserves, uh, that is headed by a workers' government that has a people-first outlook, would have weathered the storm very differently and, and, in fact, would have contained it far, far earlier before it even began to spread the way, the way it has uh, lately. So at the same time, it's a very strange kind of a crisis in a lot of ways, in the sense that although a lot of people can't go to work in the usual way, the means of production as such haven't been destroyed through a war, for example, uh, or they haven't been rusted out and shuttered, uh, as we've seen in the Rust Belt in the last few years over a lot of industries. Uh, most of the means of production are still sitting there pretty much intact. And although a lot of workers in the U.S. are sick, uh, and this, the number's rising every day, and a lot of people are living in fear, and people are atomized out of necessity, uh, the working class is essentially intact as well. And incidentally, uh, the boom that we're seeing in, in people working from home is just one of the ways that society and working life is being restructured, and this is going to have lasting effects 
on, on life after coronavirus, for example, on what workers are going to accept when it comes to the bosses imposing working conditions on them. And of course, there's millions of jobs that can't be done from home. And those workers, these essential workers, really are on the front lines and we're really seeing who really is essential in this society. Projections a couple of weeks ago estimated that there could be unemployment as high as 20%. That's the U3 unemployment rate. If you look at the U6 unemployment rate, which actually counts all those who are uh, no longer looking for work or who would like to work full-time but can't find full-time work, if you look at that measure, it would be closer to 35% or 40%. And again, this is based on earlier probably overly conservative estimates of how deep and how long this crisis would run. Last week alone, there was 3.3 million new applications for unemployment in just a single week. This is an all-time record. There's anecdotal reports of precarious workers losing not one job, but both their jobs at the same time. Uh, the websites for the Departments of Labor of the different states have crashed, uh, and the St. Louis Federal Reserve has projected that U.S. GDP could fall by as much as 50% over the course of a single quarter. This is absolutely unprecedented. This is like the effects of World War I and World War II on Russia combined, practically. Uh, and the U.S. has never undergone something like this, even going back to the founding of this country. Then, of course, there's the question of the bailout, which is on a lot of people's minds. Uh, uh, but really, although a lot of people have some hopes that this is going to provide some relief, it's a classic example of what some people refer to as disaster capitalism. And this is when the capitalists, they use disasters, they use the confusion and the fear of crises like this to ratchet society even further in the interests of the 0.1% who really run the show and call the shots. It's a question of socializing and nationalizing the debt and privatizing the profits. Now, most people probably hear, oh, checks from the government to help us get through this mess. That sounds pretty good. They're not here and they're not looking at the details, the fine print. Maybe they don't realize how big of a bailout and handout this is to the big corporations, that there's been a giant slush fund basically created uh, for, the, for the Treasury Department to hand out without a whole lot of accountability. Um, though, of course, after 2008, there are uh, a lot of people that are more mistrustful and wary about what, what is happening. Basically, people are afraid and confused, and uh, they hope that this is going to be enough. But the fact is, this first round of checks is not going to be sufficient. That $250 million from that third phase of the bailout really accounts for just one-eighth of the total $2 trillion tab, and a lot, lot more is going to be needed. And most of that is going uh, directly or indirectly straight to corporate America. This is one of the biggest transfers of wealth. It's a massive handout to the capitalists. The checks are really just taking a pit stop in someone's personal bank account on their way to paying their landlord or paying the bank, the credit card, the mortgage company. It's all going to be aggregated into the hands of the few once again. Um, and of course, all of this is going to be paid for, allegedly, by adding more to the national debt, which is already at $23 trillion. Now, the United States is uh, the most powerful country in the world, and it can get away for a time with basically printing money or borrowing money. Uh, but eventually, it's going to have to be paid back, either through the inflationary pressures that this is going to bring to the economy or through outright cuts and austerity against the working class later on. Either way, the workers are going to be made to pay. Now, psychologically, I think most people do blame COVID-19 uh, for this crisis. Maybe a lot of them blame Trump. Uh, they don't yet uh, blame the contradictions of the capitalist system itself for the crisis. But this 
can rapidly change as well. Uh, all the contradictions of the system are coming to the fore and people have a lot of questions. After all, if there is no commerce, if there is no market, there is no real capitalism. There's no need for capitalism. And this is what worries Trump. This is why he wants to get things up and running again as quickly as possible because some really uncomfortable questions can begin to be asked and are being asked already. Trump has activated the Defense Production Act, which would allow for the temporary nationalization, or rather the state direction of production of certain sectors. Um, but he held off for a long time in actually using it. In the end, he's used it to requisition you know, a few thousand new respirators, uh, which basically means buying with a built-in profit from private companies with public dollars. But he, even he was forced to admit that the scale of the crisis necessitates ultimately massive centralized intervention. And this is the one thing that Trump and the Republicans are terrified of unleashing, of acknowledging, because of course, after all, that's the, the kind of socialism, big government spending that they've been demonizing for all this time. Trump has said that, you know, we're not Venezuela, that's why we're not going to do these things. Um, again, demonizing that country, which of course is not uh, a socialist country either. So the question of nationalization, what is nationalization? What does it really mean? What is workers' control? Uh, and what kind of party and what kind of government can actually implement these things in the interest of the majority is going to be an increasingly important question for Marxists to explain. Um, there's a very clear case now for central planning, and we have to keep making the case for it. And you're seeing organically, instinctively, millions of people understanding uh, the need for that. But we should also remember that until capitalism is overthrown, there's going to be booms and slumps. Even if there's very deep slumps and very weak booms, there's still booms that accompany the slumps. It is not a linear process. So we can't rule out the possibility of a temporary stabilization or even a little bit of a, of a bounce back at a certain stage. There may well be a lot of pent up demand, as Trump says, after people have been sheltered in place for so many weeks. Uh, some companies are hiring massively. You have people like Instacart, who are hiring 300,000 new workers. CVS pharmacies uh, hiring 50,000 people. Walmart wants to hire 150,000 people. Amazon says they're gonna uh, hire 100,000 people. But of course, we know as soon as this crisis is over, hundreds of thousands of people are gonna be laid off. But you know, the stimulus measures, they could hold things together for a while, but not indefinitely. 18 months is a long time, and some experts think that it may take that long or even longer before this whole thing runs its course. So regardless of what happens in the relative near term, the long-term contradictions of the system cannot and will not be resolved by any of these measures, and the burden for paying for this crisis is going to weigh ever more heavily on the working class. So there's a lot of talk about this being a wartime type situation, and we agree, but it's not a war in the abstract, and it's not a war between nations. It's a class war, and we need to approach things accordingly. The key for us as Marxists is to always remember that the working class remains the most powerful social force in, in society. The workers have not been defeated, have not been crushed, uh, although the unions are currently led by people that are more terrified of their own members than of the capitalists and of this crisis. Um, the working class itself still has tremendous reserves of fighting spirit. Uh, and with the unimaginable collective suffering that's in store for our class, and which is really only just beginning, ultimately uh, a collective fight back is also going to be needed. We're already seeing people embryonically and collectively coming together to provide 
for each other through mutual aid, grocery delivery, um, all, the, all those kinds of things to help people out. Uh, and this is the kind of the class instincts, people trying to come together, ordinary working people coming together to help each other that the system tries to pound out of us from our earliest years by, by preaching this mantra of individualism and atomization and I this and I that. Um, ultimately, uh, the working class's instinct is to come together. Uh, the working class is not going to just wait around to be passively destroyed, to be stacked like firewood in makeshift morgues and crematoriums. The working class is realizing who is really important in the society, and, and people are, are starting to notice this. You know, it's the grocery store workers, the warehouse workers, logistics, healthcare, of course, communications, transport and transit, garbage collection, manufacturing. These are now some very uh, important bottlenecks for the functioning of the capitalist economy and for society as a whole. And the workers in these, uh, in these key sectors can and should leverage that to ratchet things against the interests of the capitalists and in the direction of the working class. Comments who have followed Marxist.com, uh, the Indefensive Marxism uh, website, will, will realize that the Italian working class who have been under lockdown and under this crisis uh, and borne the, the worst of it for several weeks before it really hit hard in the United States, they're showing the way forward and actually many comrades of the IMT have played a direct role in those events. The Italian workers have been at the epicenter of the European crisis up to date and they very well could be at the epicenter of the worldwide fight back of the working class against these attacks. So, so definitely watch this space and keep an eye on the Italian working class. The rotten leadership of the U.S. unions is really the only thing holding back this instinctive desire to come together and do something despite the limitations of, on movement and, uh, and socialization. That's what's holding back a more generalized fight back. The president of the AFL-CIO, Richard Trumka, for example, has urged union members to call their representatives uh, to ask for better health protections for the workers that they represent. Uh, we obviously want uh, better protections as well, but we say that we can't trust the bosses, we can't trust their parties, and we can't trust their government to provide these protections for us. They've already failed spectacularly. The working class can rely only on its own strength its own organizations, and on its own mass action to bring about real change and to fight back against this crisis. I mean, it's a bit ridiculous, but even Teen Vogue and Britney Spears are ahead of the AFL-CIO when it comes to raising the need for serious action, raising the need, for example, for a general strike. And a general strike in the United States would definitely change the balance of forces. And uh, a lot of people are already, again, instinctively moving in this direction. You see direct action by the working class, walkouts, wildcat strikes, and the threat of strikes, especially if they feel that their employers are not giving them the protections that they require to do their essential functions safely. Just to mention a few, We've, uh, of the actions that we've seen in the last period. Uh, the auto workers union, the rank and file, shut down production uh, at the big three automakers out of worries over, over transmission of the virus. Uh, the longshore workers of the port of Oakland have threatened to strike. Sanitation workers in Pittsburgh refused to pick up the garbage unless they got a better uh, protective equipment. Detroit bus drivers also threatened to go on strike uh, if they didn't get the same. Drivers at Domino's Pizza started just spontaneously walking out. Uh, not because they don't want to deliver food to people, that, that, that they don't want to help people, but because they can see the massive profits that are being raked in by companies like that, and they don't even get hand sanitizer or better wages or anything like that to carry out this essential function. There's been talk in many sectors of a rent strike, 
which could definitely gain traction organically as people's savings run out. And if the Trump checks dry up and the landlords, even if there is some sort of a moratorium on rent, eventually they're going to come to collect and uh, you could have a, you know, a, a rent strike movement build up. Uh, there's been ramped up unionization drives at grocery stores, for example, at Trader Joe's. There's been other workers taking things into their own hands. Some workers, hospital workers represented by SEIU in Oakland, found 39 million N95 masks that were being you know, warehoused and, and hidden away and hoarded. Uh, and, that, and they're now working to make sure that those get to where they're, they're most needed. This Monday, there's going to be a strike by Instacart workers. Uh, again, these are food delivery workers who are delivering groceries to people uh, at a time when people can't even leave their homes. So... All of this is increasingly posing the question, who really makes society run? Trump says he wants America open and raring to go within a couple of weeks. He's basically already declaring uh, mission accomplished. But we saw, of course, that G.W. Bush had not accomplished anything with the invasion of Iraq. Uh, it was a complete mess in a quagmire. And this is definitely where Donald Trump seems to be headed. You can't just wish away a pandemic or bully and bluff your way out of a pandemic. Epidemiological models show that if social distancing is only maintained for another 14 days, then we're going to end up with a curve in, of infections and a, to, a, a massive spike in infections and a total of 128 million infections. If the following two months we observe social distancing across the country, then they project 14 million infections. That's still a lot, but that's nearly 10 times fewer than if America is open and raring to go by Easter. That's a massive difference in suffering, in the number of deaths, uh, and, and so on. Uh, COVID-19 does not discriminate on the basis of class, but the outcomes for those who get sick are absolutely affected by class, and uh, this is always the case when it comes to healthcare. That's why we argue that the working class has to take its destiny into its hands. It's the working class who should decide when and how to open the economy again, not in the interest of, of profit, but in the interest of public health and public safety. The working class uh, in the United States and around the world has the power to shut the entire economy down, to stop the spread of the virus, or at least slow it down dramatically, and to organize the provision of essential services safely and in everyone's interests. So, if you just think about what would be possible in this situation if you actually had a union leadership based on class struggle tactics, based on militant tactics uh, that, that was leading the working class at this time, it'd be a very, very different situation. That pressure from below would make the Trump administration behave very, very differently, I can assure you. But as Trotsky explained, the crisis of humanity is ultimately the crisis of leadership of the working class. Um, and incidentally, the crisis of leadership of the ruling class is also on full display. So we say that only the working class can flatten the curve and eliminate the virus. And ultimately, the working class has to not just flatten capitalism, but eliminate it altogether as well. Of course, in the midst of all of this, we have the election uh, campaign still unfolding, uh, although the primaries and caucuses and rallies are more or less on hold. Um, now, it would seem that Joe Biden has more or less sewn up the nomination. We've explained in different articles at socialistrevolution.org the dynamics of how the ruling class was able to coalesce around uh, Biden in order to, to crowd out Bernie. Biden was ultimately their only hope to stop 
the momentum that Sanders had built up and the danger that he and above all the, the movement behind him represented. But this doesn't mean that the Democrats uh, can't ruin this as well. You know, it might seem that Trump should be totally doomed by this crisis, but we should never overestimate the Democrats uh, and we shouldn't underestimate Trump or, you know, the, the pragmatism of a lot of American voters. A lot of people don't understand fully the disastrous role that he played in the early weeks of this crisis, certainly not his, uh, his core supporters. And if somehow he can appear to pull off a bit of an economic miracle recovery to coincide with the eve of the election, we very may well be in for another four years of Trump. There is a strong tradition in, in this country also not to, quote, change horses in midstream, uh, i.e. not to change presidents in the midst of a crisis. 55% of people now approve of how Trump has handled this crisis, and that's actually the highest approval rating of his presidency. But that's nothing compared to the 90% or so approval rating that G.W. Bush had in the aftermath of September 11th. So it's a bump, but not that much of a bump in the grand scheme of things. Um, so Trump may well be totally screwed by November. But on the other hand, Joe Biden basically disappeared for a week after the national emergency was declared. It's pretty clear he's got some serious health issues that are going to be difficult to conceal over the long term and in a general election and uh, going up against someone like Trump. There is now uh, a sexual assault allegation uh, against Biden, which could definitely complicate things. Um, and in the meantime, you have other Democrats, people like the governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, who have come into the national spotlight. Uh, you know, Cuomo has aspirations to be kind of a modern day FDR and uh, definitely has had his eye on the presidency for some time. Some people are even saying that if Biden isn't up to the task, maybe Cuomo should be nominated by the Democratic Party convention. All kinds of strange things are possible. The elections are definitely not over uh, yet. Now, some people say that the elections themselves may need to be postponed. We'll have to see what happens there. Um, but uh, the elections weren't canceled even in the middle of the Civil War. So if they were postponed, uh, this would be a huge blow to the supposed sanctity of the Constitution uh, and to U.S. bourgeois democracy. So I imagine they would do whatever they can to try to avoid that from happening. There's a lot of rumors swirling on the internet and in social media about a military clampdown, a military takeover, uh, the suspension of civil rights, the declaration of martial law. Uh, and it's absolutely true that institutions like the National Guard, FEMA, and the, the active duty military, they haven't been built up for nothing. The ruling class intends to maintain power if there is civil unrest. But we definitely have to have a sense of proportion about this. Uh, a military crackdown is definitely not the preferred means uh, of ruling of the, of the capitalist class. They know this is a huge country. It would be very difficult to hold things together if they went that route. And of course, these institutions, the military and so on, are made up of classes themselves. They're made up of individuals who are also affected by the class divide in society. So given all that's going on uh, around this crisis, the Marxists are going to have many opportunities to raise different transitional demands that point the way forward toward meeting the objective needs of the situation. We base ourselves not on what's practical or possible within the limits of capitalism, but on what's actually needed to solve the problems facing the working class. This disaster is precisely what's practical and possible under capitalism. So we, uh, the U.S. section of the IMT, we've developed an emergency a socialist program for COVID-19 and the economic crisis as a complement to our overall program, which is available on our website and in the back pages of our print magazine. Um, and the main thrust of this program is that to fight the virus, 
we have to fight for socialist revolution. So here are a few of the demands and the measures that we think are needed to provide a working class solution. We think that the wages of all essential workers should be doubled immediately. We think that uh, the ranks of these essential workers should be quadrupled to fight unemployment and to take the strain off of these workers. And of course, we think this should all be done with the necessary safety protections and union recognition. We think there should be a nationally guaranteed federal minimum wage of $1,000 per week, whether you're working or not, whether you're unemployed or not, whether you're sick, you're quarantined, etc. Any companies who claim that they can't pay this should be taken over by the government and the government should pay those wages instead. We think that there should be the suspension of all non-essential production because non-essential production is is going to keep driving the spread of this of this virus. Uh, we think that production should be retooled towards essential services and healthcare needs. Uh, and we think that the working class needs to take direct action again in the form of forming health and safety committees in the factories, in the workplaces to oversee safety conditions and to implement all of these provisions. We say that any company that requests a bailout, the airlines, for example, they should be nationalized and run under democratic workers' control as a public utility. Only a rational plan of production can ensure that there's no disruption in the supply of food, of medical supplies, to fight against price gouging, profiteering, etc. Of course, a big one is the question of healthcare in this country. There have been provisions now to offer free testing for COVID-19, but you may still have to pay for the treatment yourself, and that can cost tens of thousands of dollars. We think there should be a socialized healthcare system free at the point of service. We should nationalize the entire health sector and integrate it into one big national health plan. And any essential buildings or commercial spaces that would be useful towards building hospital or fever clinics and so on should be requisitioned, nationalized, taken into public ownership, and used as quickly as possible. We think that there should be price controls on all essential items, that these should be enforced by committees, elected committees in the working class neighborhoods. People shouldn't be speculating and making money off the misery of others, although of course that is basically how capitalism functions all the time. Uh, we think that there should be an immediate, an indefinite moratorium on utilities, on rent, on mortgage payments, on evictions, uh, and we need to rethink the whole housing uh, issue in this in this country and think about having a mass program of socialized housing. We want to nationalize vacant homes. You already see homeless people in Los Angeles occupying homes themselves. You have you know way more empty buildings than you have uh, homeless people. We could solve the homelessness crisis and allow for actual social distancing and safety for these people in a heartbeat. We don't even have to build any new housing. Uh, and there's, of course, plenty of scope for building much better quality housing for all. We also need to expose the lie of so-called national unity. We need to fight against any kind of xenophobia, any kind of protectionism, of scapegoating of anybody for this crisis. The workers and the capitalists have diametrically opposed interests. And again, the workers can rely only on our own strength and class-independent organizations. Not just in the economy, but politically, we need to break with this two-party system. We need a mass working-class socialist party. And ultimately, we need, again, a workers' government. And while the workers should voluntarily observe social distancing uh, in the interest of public health, we demand that our basic rights uh, be guaranteed. We're not going to accept any limitations of our 
constitutional rights, of our basic civil rights and protections in the name of a national emergency. We also believe then that all the debts of working people should be written off. The $2 trillion bailout package could pay off all credit card debt and pretty much all student debt together. Uh, and they were able to come up with that just like that. Uh, we think that all these debts, mortgage debts, auto loans, student loans, etc., should be wiped out. We should expropriate the major banks and corporations without compensation. And these should all be administered under democratic workers' control and integrated ultimately into a socialist plan of production as part of a worldwide socialist federation and a planned economy. Comrades and friends, these events are an absolute confirmation of the general perspectives of the IMT. A revolutionary program only seems extreme until it's necessary and ultimately inevitable. And we're confident that the working class, on the basis of its experience, on the basis of a series of successive approximations, trying out different leaders, different parties, different programs, is going to come to revolutionary socialist conclusions as the only way out of this, out of this mess. This crisis is the price that humanity has to pay for the continuation of capitalism long past its best buy date. Um, but every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Everything eventually turns into its opposite. And I think we can say very clearly that the U.S. is going to be a very different country by the time this is all through. This is only the beginning of the beginning. I think we can hardly fathom just how profound these changes are going to be, not just structurally, economically, socially, but above all in terms of the dramatic changes that are taking place in the consciousness of the working class and that are going to continue taking place. The molecular process of revolution that's been building for decades uh, in this country and around the world is, uh, is being accelerated, although, of course, this isn't going to be an immediate process or a linear process. But what we're living through today is almost like living through the Spanish influenza, World War II, 9-11, and the 2008 crisis all at the same time. It's absolutely unprecedented. If we look back at the last hundred years, this last century was bookended by crisis, disease, revolution and counter-revolution. Before the COVID-19 crisis really paralyzed much of the world, we saw the beginnings of a revolutionary wave beginning across the planet. That may have been paused for a moment, but again, none of the contradictions have been resolved, and that is going to be renewed on an even higher basis as a result of this crisis. No matter what kind of short-term stabilization is established, nothing has been solved, uh, and the need for mass working class action, for mass workers' party, and again, for workers' government, is going to be clear to millions. Things cannot and will not go back to the way they were before, because how they were before is ultimately the root of the problem. There's big, big events on the horizon, like Hurricane Katrina, like the Madison Uprising, uh, like Katrina and Madison all at the same time, and not just in this or another city, but in one country, in one city, after another, around the U.S., around the world. Um, I think then it's fair to say that we are much closer to a revolutionary situation today than we have been since the 1930s here in the United States. So uh, revolutionary socialists, Marxists, anybody who's interested in a better way forward for humanity. We have to prepare politically and organizationally for the bigger events to come, for the time when we can hit the streets, get back to our workplaces and campuses. The potential for a new and much, much better world has never been greater, and it's up to the working class to make that a reality. This fight, this fight over the next few years uh, against this crisis may well decide the future of humanity itself. The climate crisis was already a major accelerant, and now 
COVID-19 has really upped the stakes. It truly is socialism or barbarism, uh, and time is of the essence. So if you're listening, if you're not yet a member of the IMT, I invite you to join, to subscribe, to donate. Now more than ever, we're all in this together worldwide as a class, as a working class, along with all those who are exploited and oppressed by this disgusting system. Socialism in our lifetime isn't just a nice slogan, it's a perspective for the future, and it's ultimately the only way forward for humanity. Long live the world socialist revolution. Thank you very much, comrades. Bella, no.